right. Well, if you have your Bibles, grab your Bibles, and we're going to pray, and we are going to hit the ground running today with another installment of Lord Teach Us to Pray, and today's topic is perhaps one of my favorite topics. It is a topic that has changed my life over and over and over again, and in fact, uh, I'm, I'm right here again with the topic that we're going to be talking about today, because we're going to be talking about sonship. And uh, the way that David and I have uh, coined this in the past couple of weeks, we feel like God is giving us a sonship upgrade. And, uh, and that's because we never stop growing as sons and daughters. It's, it's never something that we achieve and we accomplish a particular benchmark in sonship and then we can stop. No, we continue to grow and mature in our understanding of who the Father is and our understanding of who we are as sons and daughters. And it changes Everything, everything rests and rides upon our revelation of who God is as Father and who we are as sons and daughters. So we're going to pray and we're going to ask for the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. I mean, I, I, could, I could practice, I could pray, I could prepare, I could, I could uh, preach to the wall and I come, with you, come, come to you with all the right words, but without the mixture of the Holy Spirit breathing on what is being said today, it'll just fall to the ground and it won't change lives. So you want me to be anointed. You probably want me to be anointed more than I want to be anointed. All right, so let's do it. Father, we bless your name today. And we thank you that there's a tangible spirit of love that is in this place. It is almost palpable. Father, we feel like we could just reach out and we could touch the very literal arms of the Father reaching out towards us, embracing us, healing us, restoring us, changing paradigms that have been built up in our minds and our hearts and our attitudes and our emotions through rejection and disappointment and brokenness and despair. Father, we sense the movement and the ministry of your spirit moving upon our hearts and moving on our lives this morning. And Father, that gives us hope and it gives us confidence that you're gonna do something powerful. And so we place a demand right now on the work of the Holy Spirit. We place a demand that your spirit would heal today and deliver today and that you would bring revelation today, that you would change the way that our minds think today, that you would birth sons and daughters today, that you would shed orphan thinking and orphan mindsets and mentalities off of us today. Father, that you would put a boldness and a security in our hearts to run into the throne room of God today, that we would see you accurately today, that our vision would be clarified and sanctified and renewed today, that you would do this, that you would do what no man can do, that you would activate the spirit of sonship in our hearts in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let me go through a really quick review of the past couple of weeks. We started off our series on Teach Us to Pray. And just so you guys know, we're going to take this probably all the way through June. And we could easily go through the entire year just walking out the Lord's Prayer. But we're going to take this out through June. In the past six weeks, here's what we've covered. Number one, we talked about how when we address God as our Father, we actually focused on that word our first. I made a fascinating discovery this week looking at uh, preparation for this message that in the Greek and in the Aramaic, it actually starts off with the word father, not with the word our. So we actually could have rightly started our entire series with a message on sonship as we follow the, the, Hebrew, as we follow the, the, the language of the Greek and the Aramaic and how they structured and framed out that prayer. And so... Um, 
the things that we're gonna be talking about today, again, are so foundational. But we, we began with an understanding, a deeper understanding of the word our, our Father. So we said it's a prayer of gratitude, understanding that we cannot collectively call God Father without the work and the activity of what Jesus, his son did on the cross. And so one of the things that we've said here is it's our privilege to approach him as sons and daughters, but that privilege has come by a great price, the price of the blood of Jesus. Secondly, we said that it's a prayer of identification. When we pray the Lord's prayer, it's a prayer of identification. We are identifying with everything that God says that we are and all that he says that we have because we are sons and daughters in Christ Jesus. Number three, it's a prayer of declaration. We are declaring, when we say our father, we're declaring that Jesus not only came to inaugurate the kingdom, we're declaring that he's coming again with the fulfillment of the kingdom. Number four, we said it's a prayer of belonging, that every single one of us who are sons and daughters of God, every single one of us who are believers in Christ Jesus, we are saying essentially that we belong to something much, much bigger than ourselves. We belong to the church universal, every believer in Christ Jesus from the time that Jesus resurrected. We're also saying that we belong to the church global, believers in Pakistan, Sudan, North Korea, South Korea, China, uh, all parts of the, the, the Eastern world. We're saying we belong to them and they belong to us. That's why it's important to pray for the persecuted church. It's, an, it's important to pray for our brothers and sisters that are serving in hard to reach areas all around the world because we belong to them and they belong to us. And finally, we said that it's a prayer of belonging, meaning that we belong to a local fellowship of believers. We said it's a prayer of unity and that unity releases the presence of God and the power of God. That when brothers and sisters come together in a spirit of unity, God shows up in a magnificent way. Last week, we talked about the fact that it's a prayer of alignment and we talked about principles and protocols of corporate prayer. And today, we're going to address the fact that the Lord's prayer is a prayer of sonship. It's a prayer of sonship. So turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six. And beginning with verse nine, and I'd ask for us all to read this together. And I know that we all have different translations that we're looking at in our own Bibles. So if we'll just look at the screen and we'll just read this together here. This is the Lord's Prayer that is forming the basis of our series these six months. Let's read this Antioch. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. <laughs> we can pause right there. We've customized this version of the Lord's Prayer and uh, Matthew's version doesn't end with for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, but we say yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. Let me start this morning 
with a couple of assertions that I have as it relates to the spirit of sonship. If you've been at Antioch for any time, you'll hear this word sonship, you'll hear the theme, you'll, you'll hear us mention what a son or a daughter looks like. You'll hear us say really big, bold claims like the kingdom of God can only come through sons and daughters. So I've got just very quickly 10 assertions that I have that I wanna throw out for you. I might sprinkle them with a little bit of thought here and there, but where I'm really going is I'm gonna to go to some expositional uh, passages of scripture that we're gonna look at, but to set the table for that, I wanna look at these assertions of sonship. Number one, and if you're taking notes, you can jot these down. Sonship is the foundational relationship that God invites all believers into. Sonship is the foundational relationship that God invites all believers into. Now, if you've done any study on the magnificent characteristics of who God is, you're gonna find that there are numerous, numerous parts of who God is. We can relate to him as king. We can relate to him as judge. We can relate to, relate to him as creator of the heavens and the earth. We can relate to him as author and the finisher of our faith. We can relate to him as our protector, our provider, our deliverer. There's lots of ways that we can relate to God. But as Jesus teaches us how to pray, he says, this is foundationally how God is inviting you to relate to him. And that is very simply as a father. It says a father. Every other way that we relate to God comes out of our accurate, and I say that on purpose, it comes out of our accurate revelation of who God is as father. We're gonna talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes because not every one of us in this room, myself included, has an accurate revelation of God as father. Number two, second assertion here is that sonship, what is sonship? There's a lot of words here. We're gonna condense this down in weeks and months to come, but sonship is a spirit. It's a spirit. Sonship is a position. Sonship is a relationship. Sonship is an attitude. It is a mindset and it's an identity that is made possible by the person and the work of God's son and the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. So sonship is not something that we just make up or that we will into existence by our own power, by our own willpower. Sonship is a sovereign work of God that happens in our hearts as human beings. Look at this statement right here. Sonship is the work of the Holy Spirit. So when, when you start taking inventory of your life and you're asking yourself, why, why do I feel like I'm not responding like a son? Or why is it that I'm acting more out of insecurity and out of fear than I am out of that boldness and that confidence that comes out of sonship? Take heart, take heart because sonship is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And like all the work of the Holy Spirit, that's something that we can intentionally partner with. We can partner with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Number three, all of life and ministry flow out of seeing God properly as father. Everything, everything that you do is affected by sonship. Everything, the way that you parent your children, got a great story later. The way that you interact with your spouse, the way that you respond to your boss, the way that you lead people, the way that you see the world, the way that you talk to God, the way that you receive things from him, the way that you worship, the way that you give, the way that you release your faith, the way that you handle disappointment, all of that is affected by your understanding and by your revelation of what it means to live as a son or a daughter. Number four, sonship is the cornerstone of the kingdom. It is the cornerstone of the kingdom. Now I'm coming to understand more and more that one of the primary things that God is up to 
in us as a people, in me as an individual and the people of God at large, one of the primary things that he's up to is bringing the fullness and the manifestation of his kingdom into the earth. That is his agenda. That's what Matthew 28, 18 through 20, that's what John 20, 21, that's what Acts 1, 8, that's what all of these commissioning scriptures are all about. Jesus came to inaugurate the kingdom. He's gonna come back to fulfill the fullness of the kingdom. But in this space, this overlap between what many people call the two advents, Jesus coming and Jesus coming again, this space between those two advents is the people of God bringing his kingdom into the earth. And the reason I say that sonship is the cornerstone of the kingdom, we know that Christ is the cornerstone of the church and that Jesus is the son, the ultimate son who has come to reveal who the father is. Well, sonship is that hidden thing that makes the kingdom come possible. The kingdom can only come through sons and daughters. It is critical that we get this. Our entire mission is dependent upon it. Number five, our theology is formed by our sonship. Do you know that the way that you read and interpret the scriptures is affected by your understanding of who God is as father and by your revelation of who you are as a son and daughter? I've read the scriptures for years, guys, years, 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 decades. You're like, you're only almost four decades old. (laughs) Well, I started early. I've read the scripture for years. I've read it over and over and over again. And I'm telling you, until I got this revelation of sonship, I realized there's been a lot of things I've been reading the wrong way. I've been reading from a works mindset. I've been reading from a religious mindset. I've been reading from an institutionalized mindset. I've been reading reading from a selfish mindset. I've not been reading from a revelation of the goodness of who God is as father and the security and the power that comes to us as sons and daughters as a result of reading the scriptures accurately. It affects the way you read the scriptures. You read the scriptures in a spirit of an orphan You'll read things as bondage. You'll read, you'll read legislation. You'll read law. You'll read things by the spirit of the law. You'll, you'll get turned away from God. You will. You'll get turned away from God. You'll get turned away from the word. You'll get into self-condemnation because you'll begin to realize really, really soon that all of these things that God invites us into, you can't do outside the spirit of sonship. It's impossible. You'll always look at God as a master or a ruler or a judge or like Matthew 25 says, you'll see him as a hard man instead of seeing him as someone who's constantly inviting us into who he is, the reality of who he is and someone who's empowering us to be sons and daughters of God. You won't see it like that. You'll see, you'll, it'll be hopeless. It affects our theology. It affects our theology of the church. It affects our theology of the kingdom. It affects, it affects everything, number six. Our sonship affects the way that we see and that we relate to others. Now, this is people that we're in relationship with. It affects primarily the way that we see and relate to those in authority. This is probably one of the places where I see the the fruit and the lack of sonship more than in any place in all of my interaction with people. It's in how they perceive and in how they relate to and how they respond to those who are in authority. And there's a lot that goes into that. We'll probably unpack that someday in the future. Sons know how to handle authority. Sons know how to submit to authority. Sons understand that authority is the way the kingdom operates. Orphans do not. Very, very, very difficult for those who are not walking in a spirit of sonship 
to respond rightly to those in authority. Number seven, our sonship affects how we receive discipline. You ever notice that? Notice that in your own life? You notice that when, you know, a father, a mother, a teacher, a coach, a parent, a pastor, someone comes and they're bringing counsel, they're bringing correction, they're bringing direction, they're bringing instruction. You'll see where someone's at by the way they respond to that. How we respond to truth from others. Now, you have to understand something here. The way that you and I respond to truth, the way that you and I respond to correction and instruction and teaching and and discipline from others, it will affect your entire life. And here's why. Because if you can't change, you can't grow. And if you can't be taught, you'll never change. And if you do change, it'll be minimal. Because God's design is to bring people who are imperfect into your life to help you who are imperfect to become more perfect. That's God's plan. I'll say that one more time. God will bring imperfect people into your imperfect life to help perfect you. So the whole argument that, well, you don't do things the right way, it really falls to the ground because God's design is to use imperfect people to perfect imperfect people. That's the way he's designed it. And he loves doing it. He's really good at it. All right, number eight, the process of maturity in sonship is lifelong. I love hearing stories from people that are in their 60s and 70s and 80s who are still getting revelation of what it means to walk in mature sonship. God's still fathering them. He's still chipping things away. He's still driving out that orphan mindset, that orphan mentality, that victim spirit, that dependent spirit. He's still pushing that out of their heart and he's still bringing them into deeper security of sonship. Number nine, sonship is one of the primary things the enemy attacks. We see this in Genesis chapter three, when the enemy comes to Adam and he comes to Eve and the primary things he attacks is their view of who God is as a good father. That is the primary strategy of the enemy. And he'll leverage trauma, he'll leverage tragedy, he'll leverage unanswered prayers, he'll leverage disappointment, he'll leverage difficult times, he'll leverage offense, he'll do everything he can to sow a seed in your heart that God's not a good father. We see this in Matthew chapter four. This is one of my favorite correlations to make. In Matthew chapter three, in fact, let's look at this. Matthew 3, 17. And those of you guys who are part of the family have heard this a thousand times. Matthew 3, 17, this is what we see. We see that Jesus is baptized by John. Now this goes into authority. Why was Jesus, the son of God, submitting himself to the authority of a man? Because sons can submit to delegated authority. So Jesus submits to John's authority given to him by the father. And then all of a sudden heaven opens up And we see God speaking and he says, you're my son, I love you deeply and I'm so proud of you. All right, three things that God spoke. Number one, he says, you're my son. You guys see that? Now go with me to Matthew chapter four. We'll begin with verse one. Let's look at Matthew chapter four, verse one. We'll read a couple of passages of scripture here. It says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry and the tempter came and he said, if you are the son. Now, hold up. I thought that the father just said, you are my son. Didn't that just happen? Like just minutes prior. How many of you guys have been in a service or been in an encounter with God or been in your quiet time and God shows up and he meets you powerfully and not but an hour later, the very thing that God spoke to you is tested. All right. 
This is a pattern, which means it is recognizable. Okay, he's, the enemy cannot create new things. He can't create new things. He just does the same thing over and over again and hopes that we don't catch it. So for every truth that God speaks, the enemy will always bring an opposing lie. So if God's primary message to humanity is, I'm a good father and you're my sons and daughters, and by virtue of who I am as a good father, you're good sons and daughters, that one thing will be the primary attack of the enemy. Here's what he says to Jesus. If you really are the son of God, (laughs) seriously, look, the father just spoke that over me. You're whack. (laughs) All right, number 10, sonship affects the way that we see and the way that we walk out our mission in the earth. It affects the way that we walk out our mission in the earth. It's changed the way that I look at evangelism. It's changed the way that I look at business. It's changed the way that I look at education and the arts. It's changed the way I look at politics. It's changed everything because I'm understanding that the kingdom comes by virtue of sons and daughters. So it affects all of that. And by the way, I don't think that scaring people out of hell is really the best evangelistic tactic anymore. I think persuading people that they're sons and daughters that are deeply loved by a father I think that really is probably the best strategy that God has to bring sons and daughters wayward back into his home and back into his family. Let's look at a couple of passages of scripture. And as you can see there, we could probably take each of those points and preach quite a while on each of those. So take those, write them down, think about them, meditate on them, and, uh, and let that work itself in you. Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight. And we're going to look at verse 15. Romans 8, 15, our first passage that we're going to dive into right now, says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. A lot of rich language here. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. You received that. So here's something that we have to understand. We have to understand that the spirit of sonship is something that we receive. It's not something we earn. It's not something we work for. It's not something we make happen in our own strength, in our own ability, in our own goodness, in our own good works, in our own brilliance, in our own accomplishments. Sonship is something that we receive. It says, and by him, by whom? By the spirit of sonship, we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So a couple of thoughts here. Number one, I already mentioned this, the spirit of sonship is not something that we, that we work for. It's something that we receive. Let her be here. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of sonship. Look at these verses one more time here. It says that you received the spirit of sonship and by him, by whom? By that spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. So who is the spirit of sonship? It is the Holy Spirit. Remember in John 14, 15, 16, Jesus said this to his disciples. He says, listen, I know you guys are really bummed that I gotta go away. I'm kind of paraphrasing that a little bit. He says, but unless I go away, I cannot send to you the Holy Spirit. 
It is critical that I send to you the Holy Spirit because if I don't send the Holy Spirit, guess what? You will not engage in the spirit of sonship. If I don't send to you the spirit of sonship, i.e. the Holy Spirit to come and dwell in your spirit, you'll still live as orphans here in the earth. But here's what Jesus says, take heart, I have not left you as orphans. I am sending you a spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of sonship by which, now watch this, now we're gonna tie this to the Lord's prayer, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. How are we able to approach and address God as Father? By the spirit of sonship dwelling inside of us. There is something, isn't it just, this is an amazing phenomenon. Isn't it amazing that there is this fear and there is this distance and there is this suspicion and there is this mistrust that we have towards God. Scripture says in Colossians 1.21, we were enemies with God, enemies with God. So there is this, there's a suspicion that we have towards God put inside of us by our father, the devil, through Genesis chapter three, when we submitted to his authority, we submitted to his power, when we submitted to his lies, we in fact embraced him as our father and not God as our father. So now all of a sudden, all of humanity has this mistrust and this suspicion towards God. And God says, how am I gonna deal with this mistrust? How am I gonna deal with this suspicion? I have to put a new spirit inside of them, a spirit by which they are now drawn to who I am as father. It is the spirit of sonship. How do you trust the very creature, the very entity that you mistrusted? The spirit of sonship that empowers us supernaturally to, not, to see him appropriately and to see ourselves accurately. Now, there might be some of us here in this room who have a hard time with that because of the example or the abuses, the neglect of our earthly fathers. Listen, that is extremely legitimate. And here's the encouragement and the hope I wanna to give to you today. That very simply is that the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is a process. And you, you, you may have placed your faith in Christ, you may, have, you may have repented of your sins, you may have entered into the family of God and, and you may say, I, I, I still struggle. I still struggle with seeing God as a father. I still struggle with seeing myself as a son. I still struggle with seeing myself as a pure and beloved and cherished and valued daughter that's powerful. I, I struggle with that. Here's the hope. In the same way that the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you is walking you through a process of becoming holy. What is that called? Sanctification, right? The moment that you and I say yes to Christ, we're immediately saved in our spirit, yet our soul is in the process of becoming saved, right? So the same thing with your sonship. The moment you say yes to Christ, according to John 1, 12, everyone who receives his name at that very moment, guess what? There's no guesswork. At that moment, at the moment of yes, you're in the family. At the moment of yes, you're in the family. Those of you guys who've had experience with natural physical adoptions, you're not waiting. You're not waiting years and years and years and waiting for this child to like, you know, you know do right and then go, now I'm gonna call you a son. Some of you guys were already calling that child son and daughter before it was ever final. Some of you are already thinking and dreaming and praying and relating to that child who wasn't even in your home yet as a son or a daughter before it was ever final how much more the father. 
how much more the father? The, the moment you said yes, in fact, I'd like to propose before we said yes, he was already thinking, dreaming, you know, dealing with us as sons and daughters. So this is a process. Our Christian lives are a process of understanding how good God is in spite of what the enemy says, in spite of the lies, the accusations, in spite of putting our hope and being disappointed, not being disappointed by God. The rest of our lives, we're gonna discover the goodness and the faithfulness and the love of a father. And it's gonna build something unshakable inside of us. A couple other thoughts here. Let's go back up and look at this passage. You do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. Now I want to stop here and look at that phrase that says a spirit that makes you. The spirit of sonship will make you into something. It makes you. It forms you. It builds you. The spirit of sonship is formational. So there is this thing, look at this, you do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again. What is that? What is the implication there with the word again? It means that we were slaves to fear. We were slaves to fear. I'm not talking about just goofy fears like fear of spiders or sharks or weird stuff like that. A fear, a fear, a fear of death, a fear of the enemy, and probably most importantly, a fear of God. This is why you can, you can spot where somebody is in their sonship more than anything by the level of insecurity they walk in. That's how you can spot where somebody is. And it's not that we're, you know, like sonship Nazis. Don't be weird. I'm not, you know, oh, you're, you're, no, no. When I'm, <laughs> you guys are going to like hashtag that and like brand it as some weird thing here. You know, think about the way that you in, in, engage in life. I remember a couple years ago, I might've shared this story here. Remember a couple years ago, Apostle Dennis asked me to help him with a pretty big project called the Statesman Project. And uh, I was asked to facilitate a discussion group. And in this discussion group, there were apostles and leaders and government leaders. There were lawyers in my, in my room. And here I am at that time, I'm a 36-year-old guy. And uh, I could feel it in the room. I could see these guys. These guys are leaders of networks of churches in their 50s, 60s. They're looking at me and they're thinking, really? Really? I've paid all this money. I've driven all this way. And you're going to throw a kid in here to teach us something? I'll never forget the look on this one guy's face. He and a, he and a buddy of his, they're lawyers out of Oklahoma City. And you could, just, you could just see it on their face as they walked in. And they're like, are you, are you leading the group? Or just like that. I was like, yeah, I am. And the Lord, did, the Lord just did something so magnificent. And he spoke this into my heart. He said, son, you need to know that Dennis could have asked anybody to lead this, but he asked you. And you don't have to defend that to anyone. So you can be secure, not in how big your church is, you can be secure not in how many churches you have a network of. You can be secure not in how many degrees you have. You can be secure in the fact that you were chosen. A father who you relate to chose you. And now you don't have to defend that. If, if anything, all you have to do is point to the father. 
And if these guys have problems or issues with your appointment, then you can just point them to the Father because you don't have to defend. You can be secure in his choice. It's powerful. And so uh, this is a really fun moment, but uh, I opened up and I said, hey guys, listen, I just want you guys to understand I'm not leading this group today because I know more than you, but I am leading this group because you know more than me and I know how to pull it out of you. And so I pulled up this lawyer and I said, hey, can I, can I just hear about what you're doing? And can I just interview you a little bit and find out what you guys are doing in Oklahoma City? And he was like, yeah, sure. So I put him on the stand and I just, I, just, I just began to inquire. I said, tell us more about this and tell us more about what you're doing with these business leaders. And all of a sudden you could see everything click in his mind. And afterwards he came up and he says, you know what, man? You're the right guy for the job. Not because of what I know, but because of that security and sonship can allow me to flow with confidence in my gift. So imagine then if I was operating in an orphan attitude and I was out there, I was like, you know, spouting, spouting off all these things and, and trying to like prove why I belonged there. Oh my gosh, it would have been a train wreck. It would have been a disaster because people can spot insecurity a mile away. They can sniff it out. But when you're walking in that deep-seated security, who I am as a son, I am here by appointment, I am here. My value and my worth is not based on what I do. It's not based on what I've accomplished. It's based on who the Father is. And it's based on what he says about my life. So pay attention. So like, what do we do with that? Pay attention to when insecurity manifests in your life. Pay attention, watch for that. And when you, when, you, when you sniff that out and you recognize and realize there's some real insecurity that's operating there, it might mean that you need some healing. It might mean that there's been a breach in your relationship with your earthly father or your heavenly father. It might mean that you're basing your value and your ability to be in the situation and stand firm and upright. It might be that you're basing that off of some things that are more rooted out of who you are than out of who God is and who God says you are. Because here's what I know. Listen, let me just prophesy over your lives. Can I prophesy here for a second? Here's what you need to know. I love it. Randall's like, do me, do me. <laughs> you need to know that as sons and daughters of the Lord, and you need to know that there's an apostolic anointing in this house. You need to know that you're not going to be allowed to stay in a rut. You need to know that. You need to know that you're not gonna be allowed to just live in the status quo. You need to know that there is gonna be an acceleration in the spirit that's gonna push you into moments of promotion. You need to know that. It's not coincidental that we have so many people launching out and starting their own businesses. I feel the anointing in this room. That's not coincidence. That's not happenstance. That's not happen. That's what, that's what sons and daughters do. They take risks. They step out in faith. They grow. They take challenges that are beyond themselves. So you need to know that, that just comfortable living is not in your future. It's not for you. Listen, those of you guys who feel like I've retired and life is, no, 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 no. You need to know that there, the kingdom assignment on your life is calling to you and it's great and it's mighty and it's powerful. And so this sonship thing is critical because you're always gonna be in places where you're tempted to walk out of your insecurity. All right, let's go to another passage of scripture today. <laughs> let's go to Ephesians chapter one, drill this down a little bit. Ephesians chapter one, verse three. All right, we're gonna be in, in uh, Ephesians one, verse three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us 
in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We'll stop right there. What did you guys do, those of you who had kids and the moment that you found out that you were pregnant, the moment that life started just going further and you found out what gender your child was, what did you do? Did you just kind of hang out and not do anything? Or did you start making preparation? Did you start creating a nursery? Did you have baby showers? Did you start all of a sudden, you know, looking at all of the footsies and booties and all of those things? We still call them that, right? Huh? You guys, you guys, you guys started doing that. Okay, you know what you were doing? You were preparing blessing for your son and your daughter. Right here in verse three, this is so important for us to understand that before we were ever put in the earth, God made blessing available for us as sons and daughters. Why is it so significant to the Lord's prayer? The Father is saying, listen, foundational to everything. Let's, let's think about the rest of the prayer. Uh, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Do, do, you, do you think that you can engage in the blessing of God's authority for your assignment without a clear revelation that authority belongs to sons and daughters? How can you pray with faith, thy kingdom come, if you don't know who God is as a father who wants to give, who has purchased authority, who has made authority available for sons and daughters? You cannot pray thy kingdom come with confidence. You can't do it. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Can you ask God for daily provision for your life, for your family, for your community, for your church, for the world, without this deep-seated understanding and revelation that God is a father who provides? What about that verse where Jesus says, if you then, though you being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children? You know what he's saying there? He's saying that even if you're saved, even if you're in me, the seed of wickedness inside of you exists. And this is what he's saying, that though you being evil, you take care of your children. You bless them. You make room for them. You give them good things. Your heart is towards them. Here's what he's saying. How about me, who's a perfect heavenly father, who's not evil at all? So can we, with confidence, ask the father for provision if we don't have this bedrock of sonship operating inside of us? Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Do you think that you can walk with security knowing that your sins have been forgiven even if this morning you had one of those Sunday morning drives to church? You know what I'm talking about? Those Sunday morning drives? Hey, brother. God is good all the time. (laughs) I don't know what it is, but I usually don't get stressed out. Don't get stressed out by many things, but Sunday morning, tell me why my kids can be angels all week long. And then Sunday morning, what is that? Listen, forgive us our sins. Even this week, if I take inventory and I focus on all the things that disqualify me from the presence of the father, I give you a good list. I give you a good list. Heart issues, attitudes, thought life, judgmental thoughts, I'm telling you, selfish decisions. I can give you a really good list. How can I stand in the presence of God, hands raised, victorious, powerful, free? It's not because of what I did. It's because I have confidence that he's forgiven me as a son.
And as a result, I can forgive others. So on and on and on it goes, even to lead us not into temptation. Can I pray that with confidence? Can I pray that with confidence that the spirit of sonship's not working deep inside of me? Can I pray that with confidence if I don't have deep-seated revelation on the goodness of the nature of my father? Listen, sonship is critical to spiritual warfare. You know why some of you guys have stepped out and did spiritual warfare and got your, you got beat up? <laughs> huh? Because you weren't doing it out of spirit of sonship. You weren't doing it out of revelation of the goodness of the father. You were striving at it. In fact, some of us make being a warrior our identity and not being a daughter or being a son. All right, let's just keep going here. <laughs> Verse four, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He chose us. Everybody say, I was chosen. Say, I was chosen then. I'm chosen now. Listen, nothing, nothing, nothing changes that. Nothing changes that. You were chosen. You were chosen. Now you can choose to walk away and you can choose to drift and you can choose to break relationship. You can choose that. But he has chosen you. And there is no sin and there is no mistake, no matter how grievous or gross it may be that you feel that you hide under this cloud of condemnation. There is no sin that you have done or can do that will break his covenant with himself. See, we, we elevate our mistakes over his nature. And we elevate our mistakes over his covenant with himself. He has made a covenant with himself to bring us into sonship. That's what the cross was all about. It was a covenant with himself, no other person. Why did he send the son? Because it was only the spirit of a perfect son who could, who could hold up this deal. Your sin is not more powerful than the blood of Jesus. Let's read this verse through, through the end because there's something I want to get to. Verse five, he predestined us for adoption to sonship. In other words, the plan was always that we'd be in the family. That was always the plan. And right now, the father's heart is broken because before people were ever created, he designed them for, to be in the family and they're not in the family. There's people that we know that are not in the family. And those of you guys who have experienced relational rifts in your family, you know that there's no pain and there's no frustration, there's no stress, there's no despair like knowing that your family is not in the family. It's awful. And that's what the father feels right now. He predestined us for adoption and sonship through Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will. I love that. You know what that means? It means he just did it because it made him happy. He did this, he chose you, he chose me, he chose to send his son to bring us back into the family because it brought him pleasure, period. And then after pleasure, it brought him praise. Because you know who looks good cleaning us up? You know who looks good inviting us back in after, there's, after we've done everything to not deserve to be brought in? You know who looks good? Not us. He looks good. He looks really good. And I don't know about you, but that's why I can stand here this morning with tears just running down my face and I can sing how great the Father's love. I can say, you know what? I am ashamed because I was one of those guys. And I think about the nature of sin in my life. 
I was, I was, I, in my sin, the very sin nature inside of me drove him to that cross. But I can sit here with tears streaming down my face, praising him because of the greatness of his love that ran after us in Christ Jesus and saved us. Isn't that amazing? You know who looks good? He looks good. He gets praise. But, but look right here at verse seven. This, this right here is where I wanna just land on here for a few minutes. In him, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So in other words, the forgiveness is, it correlates to the riches of his grace. So, you know, he can only purchase as much forgiveness as his bank account of grace has. And I think what the father wants some of you guys to know today is that his bank account never ends. that there is no price of forgiveness that you need that is greater than the bank account of his grace. Very important for us as it relates to our communion with God in prayer. A couple of days ago, I came home and uh, my son, my oldest son, had made some bad decisions. And they were bad, they were bad, bad decisions. And, uh, and he, Christy already disciplined him and she walked him through some things. And so when I came home and I got wind of this, you just, oh man, I'm unloading the dishwasher. Got the sink right here, the dishwasher right here. And he's standing on the other side of the dishwasher and he comes in and I said, come on, son, I wanna talk with you about this. And immediately he just, he just breaks into shame and he breaks into fear and he just starts crying. So I, you know, so I let him cry a little bit and I say, son, what's going on? Why, why are you crying? And this is one of those like sovereign Holy Ghost moments because based on what he did, I really, I really should have been pretty upset. It was just one of those sovereign kisses of the Lord that he really empowered me to demonstrate who the father is to my son. And so he pulled himself together and he says, he says, I'm afraid. And I said, okay. I said, well, I said, are you afraid, you know, of, of the discipline? And he says, no. He says, I'm afraid that you don't love me. What in the world? And so I just, you know, we walked through that a little bit and, and I affirmed him, obviously, that my love would never change. And one of the things that we say to our kids on a daily basis is there's nothing that you could ever do that would cause us to stop loving you. There's nothing that you could ever do that would cause us to love you more or cause us to love you less. But he just sat there as he sat there crying and as he just said it a couple more times, he says, I'm so afraid that you, don't, that, that you won't love me anymore because of what I did. I said to him, there's a revelation that came to me. And I said, I said, son, daddy's always close. My heart is always close to you. My heart is always chasing after you, son. My heart is always near you. My heart has never moved. I said, son, you know whose heart has moved? I said, your heart has moved because sin makes us believe that the father's not near anymore. Sin causes us out of that insecurity, out of that fear, out of that fear of punishment, out of that fear of being far away. Sin causes us now to question our position. That's what happened in the garden. I mean, this is the garden all over. Here, my son ate the fruit and all of a sudden now he's hiding. And he's hiding because he's afraid and he's afraid because he feels like I won't love him anymore. I said, son, 
I said, Daddy's heart is always near you. I've never changed position. I'm running after you. I'm chasing after you. I'm close and my love will never change. But this is why, this is why our choices are so important because sin will cause us to be standing right next to each other in the same room, in the same place and you'll feel thousands of miles away, son. I said, so now you have to repent because when you repent, you can, you can see where you're at rightly again and you can see where I'm at rightly again and you can understand that nothing you can do will ever separate you from my love. And I feel like that's where some of us might be this morning. The enemy's a great liar. I want you just, to, just for a minute, for a minute, and Jonathan, if you wouldn't mind coming on up, please. I just want you to take inventory here on a number of things. It, it might be, have you allowed something to bring distance in your relationship with the Father? It might be, have you, have you believed a lie that has driven you away from the, the closeness and the nearness of God? It might be, you know, Pastor Jade, I'm, I am in a place where I'm still in process. And the spirit of sonship, the Holy Spirit inside of me is still working on me to understand how deep the Father's love is for me. That might be where you're at today. It might be that this morning you would say, I don't even know who, who the Father, I don't even know who God is as Father. If that's you, I, I, I just wanna, I wanna take a few minutes for the Holy Spirit to minister to every single one of us wherever we might be in this journey. See, because at the end of the day, it's really not about praying the Lord's Prayer. At the end of the day, it's about our hearts being so deeply connected to the truth and the reality of who God is, that all of those other things are affected. And so why don't you take here just a few minutes and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and respond how you feel it's appropriate. And then I'm gonna pray for all of us before we are dismissed.
to our feet this morning. I feel like the Lord just has put something on my heart This might be for some person in here. I feel like the Father wants someone to know in this room today. <clears throat> Sons and daughters are going to make mistakes. And in fact, what I heard in my heart was they're supposed to make mistakes. You're supposed to make mistakes. Let that be freeing. That might, that might be challenging for some people's theology. It doesn't mean that you're supposed to be hard-hearted or indifferent or not care or be rebellious. We're not talking about that. We're talking about in our journey towards becoming like Christ, we will make mistakes. And it is in God's sovereign brilliance it's one of the ways he trains us to become sons and daughters. It's amazing that he actually takes our sin and uses our sin to reveal his goodness, to train us to become more like him. So let that just go. Let it go. Take that off of you. I asked Jonathan to lead us in this song that we sang earlier one more time, just as a declaration. And then I'm going to pray for just an increased measure and work of the spirit of sonship in our lives.